Hello and welcome to the Northgate Podcast, where we aim to bring people closer to Christ, build them up, and empower them to go out into the world and make a positive impact. With our inspiring content and engaging discussions, this podcast serves as a beacon of hope and spiritual growth for all its listeners. The purpose of the Northgate Podcast can be summed up by our mission to bring people to Christ, build them up in that relationship, and send them out. This motto encapsulates our dedication to help individuals discover the transformative power of Christ's love, nurture their faith, and develop a strong foundation in their spiritual journey. Now here is today's message. All right. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Matt's good morning. Worshiping together. We are in the penultimate week of the Greater Than series. One of my favorite words. I'll use it every time I can. Uh, we've been studying Hebrews. This is week seven of eight. Before we do, I just want to show you a picture real quick. Uh, we have about 40 uh, middle schoolers, high schoolers, and leaders on the shores of Le- uh, what is it? Canadagua Lake, uh, Camp Laterno this week, having a great retreat. For some of you, that's proof of life because you haven't seen or heard from your kids since they left on Friday. Um, but they're, they're having a great time. Pastor DL is doing an incredible job with our middle school, high school, young adults. If you have a kid in that phase or if you are in that phase and you're not connected there, send him a message. It's the easiest message or email at Northgate, I think. It's just dl at northgatefmc.com. So pretty hard to be easier than that. So we're in week seven of eight of this Hebrew series. We've been unpacking this book throughout. It's a fantastic book. And in order to fully embrace something, we need to understand the history behind it, right? That makes sense. In order to fully embrace something, we need to understand the history behind it. I ran into this when my girls began to become Buffalo Bills fans. And some people are like, how all three of my kids, super into football, they love it. Like my, none of them miss a Bills game, even when they're late. My uh, younger two will watch any two teams play anytime. They were mad at me a couple weeks ago because I wasn't watching the Panthers and the Bears. Um, but they love football. And so they started to get into the Bills. And truthfully, I, I did this because I thought the Bills were gonna go to the Super Bowl that year. And I needed them to understand the context of being a Bills fan. So I made them watch Four Falls of Buffalo, which is a really well done documentary on why it has been the most miserable thing in the world to be a Bills fan, right? It just shows all the pain and all that. And and one of my daughters cried watching that and they just kind of got it of like, man, this is a hard thing. And I was like, right, so when we win the Super Bowl in a couple weeks, now you know what we went through. We didn't. I don't know, spoiler alert if you're not keeping up. Uh, So we didn't, and then not too long after that, they had the 13-second Kansas City loss, which really just showed them the pain that can be involved in being a Bills fan. Then this week, I took my oldest two girls uh, to the Monday night game, and uh, it was my oldest daughter's second game, my middle daughter's first game, and man, did they get to experience what it means to be a Bills fan. Because you're not a Bills fan until you're walking out of a stadium at like 11.30 at night, silently shuffling along with 70,000 other people just going, how do do we lose that? I just don't understand. He missed the kick. How do we lose that? And I was like, now you're Bills fans. This is great, right? They understand the history behind it, the pain that goes with it. It's a similar thing. I just watched Band of Brothers, and I understand I'm like 23 years behind on that, so cut me some slack, Uh, but my Netflix algorithm decided I should watch it, and I watched it. And you know, you watch that kind of thing, and you see the sacrifices that people made for us, for our country. These, These men, I mean, they're really boys, most of them, what they did, and there's something in there that says, man, understanding that history helps me 
in a really great way. Understanding what came before us helps us fully appreciate and embrace where we are right now. And the word that we commonly use for that is legacy. I wanna to talk to you this morning about our faith legacy because our faith story is an entire legacy. It certainly didn't start with us. I think we know that. It didn't even, as we will see, start with the people that the book of Hebrews was addressed to 2,000 years ago. It predates all of that. And the common thread with our faith and with their faith and with the faith that came before them is that God is pleased by our faith. Our faith is what God is looking to see. Faith is an absolutely critical part of our walk with God and our relationship with him. It's so critical that as we will see in Hebrews 6 in a minute, and this is our main point today, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So our faith, absolutely critical and crucial. That much seems clear. But what exactly is faith? How do we define faith? My favorite definition of faith actually comes from the first verse of this chapter, Hebrews 11, that we're going to be in today. You can open that up in a Bible or in U version or the Northgate notes, however you want to follow along. But this is a fantastic definition of faith from Hebrews 11. We're going to look at one through three. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. I love that. Confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now, when I think about it in my mind, I don't always think that confidence and hope go together, right? I mean, I had hope that the Bills were gonna win that game. Did I have confidence the Bills were gonna win that game? Of course not, right? Of course I didn't, absolutely. If I was confident, then I wouldn't need hope. In my mind, those two things don't necessarily go together. I don't think, well, I hope that chair will hold me. No, I just sit down confidently that it will. If I'm wrong, it's gonna be great for others. It's gonna be a really good moment. Uh, but the author here is saying that faith is having confidence in what we hope for and that we have assurance about it even though we do not see it. I have the assurance that Jesus has forgiven my sins and that one day I will spend eternity in heaven with him. I mean, can I see it? Can I put my hands on it? No, but I still have this confident hope in it and that is faith. And I've had people ask, well, if, if God really wants everyone to love him, why doesn't he just, he could break through the clouds in this unmistakable way and everyone would see him and everyone would say, okay, that's God. God, we believe you now. And one, I would say, and scripture would say, that God has already sufficiently made himself known to people that are truly looking for him. But two, I would say, he wouldn't do that. He wouldn't do what you're asking because that would remove all aspect of faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. And that's Hebrews 11, chapter six. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he re rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, it's a certain basic required level of faith for anyone that wants to have a relationship with God. The author doesn't say that without faith it is difficult to please God. The author says it is impossible to please God. So what faith do we need to have? Well, we need to believe that he exists. I mean, that makes sense. It's hard to have a relationship with someone that you don't believe exists. And then we have to believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We have got to believe that God will show himself and prove himself to the people that pursue him fiercely. 
And then after this introduction, the author goes into this whole list of the people of of this faith legacy, the people that have gone before, the people who have paved the way, the people who have pleased God with their faith. And I'm gonna focus on three particular people today, but this is a really excellent chapter to read. So if you're not familiar with it or it's been a little bit since you've read it, go back and read it and spend some time. And when you read a name, if you don't know who that person is, find their story in the Old Testament and go back and read that. That's called a Bible study and you don't actually need a pastor to do it, right? You can just be like, Barack, I don't know who that is. Go back and read, find out what he did to get himself in this chapter. So let's go to verse seven, the next verse and our first person. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Noah took God at his word and he staked everything on it. And that's what faith is. Faith is taking God at his word. Noah had a faith that didn't need all the details. I mean, after all, having faith in something isn't really faith when you already know exactly how it's gonna turn out, right? I mean, that's, that's just how it works. If you go back, and I promise this is the last time I'll mention the Bills this message, if you go back and you watch the Houston comeback game, right? You watch that and they're down 35-3 in the third quarter, but you're like, we're gonna win. You didn't think it then. You didn't think it then. Now you know how it's gonna turn out. You're like, yeah, yeah, we're gonna win 41-38 in overtime. It's gonna be great. Steve Christian will kick a field goal. But in the moment when you don't know how it's gonna turn out, it's a totally different situation. And it's a similar thing with Noah because I think we read this account in scripture now and we know how it's gonna turn out. We know what's gonna happen and so it kind of removes some of the incredible faith of it. But in Genesis 6, God lays out this plan that at the time had to feel completely absurd. God sees the earth. He sees how corrupt and violent it is and how bad it's become and he knows he needs to do something about it. And so he tells Noah about this problem and he tells him about his plan to destroy the earth and the people on it. And then he starts describing this huge ship and he goes into all these details, the particular kind of wood that you'll use, the exact dimension, the number of decks on the ship, how the roof should be. And then he gives Noah the why. He says, I'm gonna bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But not you, Noah, not you, not your sons, not your wife, and not your daughters-in-law. Oh, and also, Noah, fill this boat with animals, two of every kind, even the most disgusting animals. Get a room for them, put them in there. You're gonna need to gather enough food for the eight of you and also for all the animals that I just told you to get. And he goes through this whole thing. It's like, this is it. No, it's a floating zoo. We're gonna do it. And all this is in Genesis 6, 11 through 21. And I can't speak for you, but if I'm Noah and I hear that plan, the first thing I'm gonna say is like, wait, what, God? Like, God, are you, are you serious? Like, is this, is this really, do we have a plan for ventilation? First of all, have you thought about the ventilation that's gonna be needed? I'm gonna be looking around for punked cameras or candid cameras, depending on which generation you're in, right? I'm gonna be like, God, did Mark Logan put you up to this? Like, what, what is going on? I can think of a million questions that I would have asked, but look at verse 22. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. And that's faith. Faith doesn't need to know. It doesn't mean you wouldn't like to know. It just means that you can still trust him and you can still move forward even without knowing. 
Noah is the first person in the Bible to be called righteous. And why is he righteous? Because he didn't need all the details. He's willing to take God at his word and to move forward. So take a second and ask yourself, what is God asking you to do? Do you have the faith to do it even though you don't know how it will turn out? Are you waiting for more details? I think a lot of times we try to mix faith with knowledge. Right? I don't remember which pastor said it, but he said, most American Christians are far educated beyond our level of obedience. It's not that we need to know more, we need to do more with what we already know. It's like I said, having faith in something when you know how it's gonna turn out isn't actually faith at all. Next, let's move to verse 17. We're gonna look at Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Sometimes Christians, they're happy to talk all day about their faith, right? I'd do anything for God. I'd follow God. I'd do this. I'd do that. And I think a lot of us say that. And at the same time, we hope that God wouldn't really ask us to do anything too major, right? I love God, but just don't ask that, right? I love God, but here's my list of things I won't do. Here's the things I really don't want to give up, so please don't ask me for that. Here's the list of things that I couldn't live without God. Uh, we're hoping and praying that, that God never asks us to actually do that. And Abraham may have had a similar list in his mind, but when it came down to it, Abraham had a faith that wasn't afraid to act. We see in this particular account of Abraham's life comes from Genesis 22 and God calls Abraham and he tells him, take your son, Isaac, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And I just, I've always been so amused how God puts that in there like Abraham doesn't know, right? Like, oh, your only son who you love. Like he forgot the long struggle with infertility with he and his wife, Sarah. Then they were so old that they'd given up on having their own kids. And God says it in a way as if Abraham suddenly forgotten that God promised he'd make him a great nation. And now he's doing that through Isaac when he finally gave him a son. He's like, oh, okay, God, my son, right? That son, the one I prayed for and asked for. Yes, that son, what should I do? And God said, go and make a sacrifice on a mountain, a burnt offering to him and Abraham, or to, to God. And Abraham isn't afraid to act. He gets up early. The next morning, he gets his donkey ready. He takes two of his servants and his son Isaac, cuts enough wood for the burnt offering, and they set out towards the mountain that God had told them about. And it takes about three days of traveling before they see the place off in the distance. And they see it, and Abraham tells the servants, you guys stay here with the donkey. And I love what he says because there seems to be, to me, a hopeful confidence in these words. He tells the servants, you stay here with the donkey while the boy and I go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. We see in this account, verses six through eight, Abraham took the wood from the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up, the smart kid said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Now, I need to close out the story in case you're not familiar with it. I can't just leave it hanging there. It's quite a cliffhanger. They reached the place 
And Abraham, he builds the altar, he arranges the wood, he bounds his son Isaac and he lays him down on the wood and he takes the knife. He's prepared to do what he thinks God has called him to do. I just want to be clear in case you have middle school students, God has not called you to do that. But this is what he feels at the moment. And as he's about to do that, the angel of the Lord calls out from heaven and says, stop, don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your only son from me. And Abraham looks up and he sees a ram caught by its horn over in the brush. And he goes over and he gets the ram and he sacrifices the ram as the burnt offering instead of his son. And man, that is a faith that's not afraid to act. God had made a huge promise to Abraham that he was going to make him a great nation. And then he'd begun to fulfill that promise against all odds. But God asked Abraham to let go of that and to trust him that if he had been faithful once, he would be faithful again. So is there anything that you're afraid to act on this morning? What is it that you would say you have faith about, but you are scared to death if you actually had to put it into practice, right? Where do you have meatloaf faith, right? I don't mean dinner meatloaf. I mean, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that, right? We're like, God, I would do anything for you. And God's like, great, be Christ-like to your neighbor, you're like, okay, okay, God, I won't do that. Like, I would do anything for love, God. I'd do anything. I love you so much, God. And God's like, okay, okay, trust me with your finances. You're like, okay, but not that, God, not that. Let's not push it too far, right? I'd do anything for love. I won't share my faith with people, God, but, but I love you so much. I won't do that. That's how I felt about my first church. I left there at 26 and I'd been there for seven years, which is like a huge portion of my life at that time. And I thought for sure I'd be there for life. That's where I met my wife. It's where we got married. It's just like, hey, this is what we're gonna do. This is what life looks like. But God had other plans and I didn't wanna go. And that's ugly. You know, when God's saying a chapter's over and you're refusing to let go, that is an ugly thing. And it was ugly. It crushed me. But God had other plans, and that's why as much as I have loved Northgate since the first Sunday I walked in here, it was actually a Saturday, since the first time I walked in here, I don't ever want to hold on too tightly. I really try hard not to do that. I always want to trust that if God has been faithful once, he can be faithful again. All right, the third and final person we're going to look at in this faith legacy is Moses. Let's go back to the Hebrews passage. It will be Hebrews eleven twenty four to 26. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. I mean, we can only imagine how this went for Moses when he laid out the positives and negatives of being an Egyptian prince versus being a Hebrew shepherd, right? You're like, Egyptian prince? Well, the housing is good, right? The salary is great, good retirement, good 401k. Not a lot of 401k as a Hebrew shepherd, right? Not a lot of money there. Uh, working conditions are better over here, right? It's not a real great list. But we see in Exodus chapter 2, that one day Moses had he'd grown up and he was out and he's just kind of watching the people. He's seeing his people and their hard labor and he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, beating someone who's like him, one of his own people. And he glances around and he sees that no one else is watching him and he kills the Egyptian and he hides him in the sand. But the next day he comes across two Hebrews that are fighting and he says to them, hey, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? 
And that man says, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking about killing me like you killed that Egyptian? Moses, of course, he immediately panics. He realizes that what he had done in secret must have become known. And I love that because that part that I just read, it takes like two hours in the Ten Commandments movie that used to be on TV every Easter. But look at what Moses does here. He could have easily ignored the injustice. He could have just told himself, I'm a royal son. I'm not a Hebrew like them. I'm not a Jew. They're not really my people. They're not really my problem. But he knew they were and he knew he couldn't ignore it. He couldn't continue living a lie, even if it was a really nice, cushy, comfortable lie, because Moses had a faith that saw the big picture. And look at the big picture that God has in store for him. He ends up being the most crucial figure in Jewish history up until the Messiah, which they would disagree with, all because he was willing to look past his immediate circumstances and see the big picture of what God was trying to do. I mean, I think about those men depicted in Band of Brothers, right? This generation that signed up in droves to fight in World War II, and why did they do it? They did it because they saw the big picture. They knew they may or may not get out of the war alive, but they pushed ahead because they knew and felt and believed it had to be done. So is there an issue in your life right now where you're content to just look at the immediate circumstances? and not consider the whole situation? Are you staying where you are because it's comfortable, like Moses easily could have done? Or are you stepping out in faith because you have confidence that even though things might be harder for a while, in the long run, your faith is going to be rewarded? You might be stepping into something so much more uncomfortable than where you are right now, but it's what God wants from you. It's what God wants for you. And then the author kind of wraps up this chapter, this Hebrews 11, this famous chapter of scripture with more accounts of people who didn't need to know the details, who weren't afraid to act, and who looked at the big picture. Pick it up in verse 32 with me. The author says, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what had been promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. It continues in verse 35. Women received back their dead, raised to life again, There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground." This is our faith hall of fame. This is the lasting legacy of people who had a relationship with our God thousands of years ago. People who made difficult choices, made significant sacrifices. And these great believers, they should inspire us to live as stronger, more committed Christ followers, driven by a faith that pleases God. We gotta look at the last two verses of the chapter because there's even more than this. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. 
And that right there, that's the plot twist, right? That's usual suspects when the coffee cup hits the ground or Shawshank when the poster rips because this whole time you've been listening to this message and some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, yeah, you know, I mean, Noah and Abraham and Moses, right? I mean, these are like great people of phenomenal faith. That's why they could do such things. I mean, come on, you're talking about Abraham, right? Father Abraham had many sons, right arm, left arm, right? I don't know what that any of that meant, but that that guy, they made a song about him. I mean, you're talking about Noah. This guy built a ship in the desert during a drought. You're talking about Moses. That's the let my people go guy, right? These are the people you're talking about. You're not talking about someone like me. But what you're forgetting is that we have more than they ever did. Did Abraham, Noah, and Moses have the word of God written out and given to them. I mean, did they have it in their pocket on a phone all day, every day? Did they have an audio version where a guy with the pipes of James Earl Jones will read scripture to you any time, day, or night? Did they have generations of faithfulness to look back on? Did they have countless prophecies that had been fulfilled? Did they know that God himself would come to earth and die on a cross because of his great love and faithfulness? Did they have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit? They had none of that, and we have all of it. So what does your faith look like today? I hope it's a faith that doesn't need all the details like Noah. I hope it's a faith that is not afraid to act like Abraham. I hope it's a faith that's willing to look at the big picture even when it's more uncomfortable like Moses. But if not, what is it that's keeping you from having amazing faith? What is it that's keeping you from having the kind of faith that you wish you could have? We have role models to look to as examples and inspiration. And on top of that, we have more than they ever did. Verse 39, it says, God has something better for us. He's planned something better for us. My friends, don't live your life without receiving that something better he has planned for you. And the only way that you're gonna receive that is through faith. That confidence in what we hope for and that assurance about what we do not see. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the men and women of faith that have gone before us, God, the, the people in this chapter of Scripture and throughout the Bible, and God, for the people of this church. God, there are men and women of great faith who have lived that out over a, a long time and in incredibly difficult circumstances. God, I pray that we wouldn't let these things be wasted, that, God, we wouldn't become so comfortable with your word that it just becomes a thing on the side of our life, that we wouldn't become so used to the power of the Holy Spirit that it would just be something we have access to, but God, our lives would be built on and shaped around these things that you have given us so that we, too, can be people of great faith. God, we pray that people will see the faith that we have and that you will be glorified because of that. Oh God, let that be true in our lives for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Remember how our God has never failed us because he's faithful. He's faithful today. He's faithful tomorrow. He's faithful yesterday. As you go, I want to remind you about the great day of giving on the way out. If you're putting that in the box, if it's a check, just put it in the memo. If it's an envelope, please mark great day of giving. If you're giving on Kindred, 
Keyword is great day of giving. Thank you so much for your generosity there. Let me give you a takeaway. And that is do not live your life without receiving that something better that God has planned for us. Don't do it. Go today in the love of God and the grace of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Have a great week and we'll see you next weekend. Thank you everyone for tuning in and being part of the Northgate podcast today. Your support and engagement have truly been incredible. If you like what you hear, then please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Northgate podcast. It's your enthusiasm and continued support that keeps us motivated and inspired to creating meaningful content that resonates with our listeners. So thanks again. Thanks again.